I grew up attending a small non-denominational church in Laurel, Delaware that was in many ways the stereotypical rural church right down to the steeple and the white fence. I have vivid memories of children's church with its rotating cast of adult volunteers and tiny wooden pews set in a basement room that smelled of urine, mildew, and pretzels. I was partial to the pretzels. I remember potluck dinners in the fellowship hall and hymn sings and quarterly communion with the little plastic cups that were filled to the brim with juice and cubes of white bread. I remember baptisms at local pools and church picnics. I remember pastors and piano players and ushers. But most of all, I remember the people, many of whom have passed away or moved on but many others still attend the same fellowship. And despite our theological differences and the distance that has passed between visits, this community remains something of a surrogate family of faith for me. And the role that they have played in my life is truly foundational. Side note, I do hope that for some of you, TRP can become that family of faith. Some of the stories that I remember are crazy, and they're probably not completely true given the recent research on the likelihood that men make up or embellish most childhood memories. Like the time that my parents were greeting at the front door, which that's not too hard to to believe, okay? But I was screaming my head off in the nursery as this was taking place, And I escaped through the women's bathroom to find them, which is possible because the nursery was attached to the women's bathroom and there was a door adjoining the two. Why, I don't know. And the state of my concern at this time was also warranted given the fact that this was one of those old school nurseries that had cribs that were basically cutouts in the wall that were stacked one on top of the other. And kids were contained. Uh, That's a fair description. They were contained by the prison bars that came down to make sure that no one fell a few feet to the floor. And if you're struggling to picture this, you can kind of think of catacombs with wooden gates in front of them. So it's no wonder that I was freaking out because they were trying to trap me into a baby prison. I knew that I had one move to make and that move was out of the nursery. Mom, does that ring any bells? Okay, so it did happen. Great. Okay, I've got confirmation of that. I appreciate that. Um, I do feel that I'm on better ground when I'm rehearsing stories and the many memories that involve the lessons that we would learn about uh, concerning the Bible or the songs that we would sing while we were in kids' church. We had one teacher who had a thing for props. And if you've spent any amount of time here, you've heard me tell stories of the life-size wooden donkey on wheels that was covered in carpet. And whenever that thing would roll into the, to the room, like the kids would go absolutely bonkers because somebody was going to put on a white pillowcase with a head and two arms cut out and put on top of the rolling donkey um, because that's how you teach kids about Jesus. I've also probably told you the story of the cardboard cutout that we had of Jericho uh, with collapsible walls, right? So here was the gimmick. One or two kids would stand inside of this little Jericho replica, and the other kids would march around singing Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho until we got to the climactic point in the song in which the walls would come tumbling down, at which point the one or two kids on the inside who had ropes holding up the walls would let the ropes go down, symbolizing the destruction of an ancient people. You know, kids' stuff, right? Today, and I will 
hopefully bring some of this together. Today, our exploration on the creed focuses on the Holy Spirit. The lines that we're looking at in particular read, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeded from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. Clearly now the writers of this creed, they want the Holy Spirit to be seen on par with God the Father and Jesus, at least in in terms of its divinity. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. The Holy Spirit, like God the Father and Jesus, is to be worshiped and glorified. And for some reason, though, I've really struggled with this talk. When you do find me from time to time reading from my phone, you can, you can fill in the blank that it's been a rough, a rough go. And I found my mind wandering often back to my early church experience. You see, it wasn't just what I learned in class that shaped my faith. It was also what I saw. And this has particular relevance to my understanding of the Spirit. So here's a little more background. The kids were always invited to stay in with the adults as they sang songs, much like we do here. And looking back, it is clear that our church went through identifiable seasons in worship. There was the banner-waving slash marching slash running around the sanctuary season where in a particularly poignant moment of worship, some people would be overcome by the Holy Ghost and their response to this experience was simple. They had to move, particularly around the sanctuary, usually clockwise and usually accompanied by a series of churchy exclamations like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, or a defiant praise God as they were going around the sanctuary. There was the Rose of Sharon or Hanky season. This was maybe less of a season and more of a, there was this one guy who from time to time would include, include a rose in his marching or his running. And as he held up the rose with both hands over his head, he would exclaim, the Rose of Sharon. If a flower was unavailable, he would use his hanky and wave it. Uh, the symbolism changed a little bit and the hanky was like waving a white flag in surrender to the movement of the spirit. I was expecting a little more from you from this. (laughs) There was also the admittedly short-lived holy laughter season, which, again, was probably less of a season and more of a, there was this one guy who would be leading singing from time to time, and one week we were singing, and he fell over behind the pulpit, and I thought that he might have passed away on the spot. And it wasn't until we saw both of his arms get shot up into the air, and him begin to uh, laugh in a way that I could only describe as concerning as a child. I would later find out that holy laughter is actually a thing, and it's associated with one of the renewal movements in American Christianity over the last 50 years or so. And for a good many communities of faith, that might be a bit generous. For some communities of faith, this is how the Spirit showed up from time to time. Mixed in between these recurring spiritual expressions, there was also a more reflective season at my home church, and this was probably my family's favorite because it meant we could just stand there and sing and then sit down and just be okay. I want to be clear here. Hopefully, as you'll soon see, I don't intend to make fun of any of these seasons, They are kind of funny, and Christians can be a little bit crazy from time to time, especially for people that aren't uh, attuned to what it is that we do. But I don't think that just because we as 
a community are too civilized to wave, wave banners or spontaneously march around Asbury Sanctuary that necessarily we have the spirit figured out. In fact, Francis Chan seems to be correct when he identifies the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. In many communities, the Holy Spirit is largely misunderstood or just completely ignored altogether. One scholar says this, I say with no exaggeration that I have met Christians who seem to think of the Holy Spirit as something like Jesus's vapor trail or a mysterious or impersonal force that conveys God's presence or even a kind of heavenly buzz that falls on people when some funky psychedelic worship music is played. Now, I have to pause here for a moment because when you're reading scholarly stuff, you really can appreciate whenever you see the phrase funky psychedelic worship music in the midst of a pretty boring book. The way that some people describe the Holy Spirit, he continues, could just as well describe magnetism, mood rings, or Motown records from the 1960s. And this is where I think that we fit in. Then there are other churches that are positively petrified of anything to do with the Holy Spirit, lest they themselves get too enthusiastic in their faith that they might start dancing in the aisles or begin muttering some unintelligible phrases. Now, perhaps like me, your church experience colors how you view the Spirit. I would imagine that if you have attended church for any length of time, this is the case. Perhaps you have walked in on a church service where the Spirit is present and you didn't know what to make of it. Maybe you still don't know what to make of it. Perhaps you are new to this whole church thing and the stories that I've just recounted sound absolutely insane to you. Here's the bad news. It is impossible for me to clarify the work of the Spirit in a 20-ish minute sermon. And while I would love to have the opportunity to lecture your pretty little faces off, I'm going to refrain from that. More bad news. It is also pretty difficult to thoroughly discuss the creed's claims of the person and the work of the Spirit. For example, the line that states the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son is one of the most contested lines in the entire creed. Its contentiousness is no doubt lost on us, but the addition of the clause and the Son, which is known as the filioque clause, contributed to the massive split between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. Luke Timothy Johnson writes, the filioque controversy is a scandal that brings creedal Christianity as such into disrepute it provides opponents of creeds with all the ammunition that they desire. Here we have a great and bitter battle, all the more savage because it is between family members and over such a minor point. Here we see theology at its worst as a form of word chopping with little real contact with living faith. Now, despite my penchant for attempting to dismantle the theological barriers that are raised over minute points of doctrine that now stand between church traditions, I will also refrain from using the division caused by the adoption of an unnecessary clause in the creed as an example of ongoing attacks against unity in our own American church context. If I were to say something, though, about our moment in history and the division between churches, I might include views on the origins of the earth, 
who and how we baptize, who gets to hold a microphone on Sunday morning, or the nature of scripture as some of the sacred cows that have defined denominations and as a necessary consequence altered the list of acceptable believing communities. Tonight, this is where I wanna focus instead. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tries to convince his disciples that it is a good thing that he goes away after his resurrection. He says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the advocate, the comforter, the spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And later, before his ascension in the book of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they will be Jesus' own witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Apparently, there is work to be done and the Spirit is the one who motivates this work for us. I think that we have minimized the role of the Spirit in this whole process. Not intentionally, But it may be the case that when we talk about building for the kingdom, which we do pretty much every week here, or becoming an agent of justice and reconciliation and hope, that we might just be thinking about our work. Jesus has died and he is risen and we are saved because of him and then we go off excited to do the work and a lot of times we fail to mention the role of the spirit in that whole process. But without the keen realization that the Spirit is the one who motivates and encourages and leads this kingdom work that we try to accomplish, we run the risk of operating in our own limited power. One scholar says, without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is just a dead letter. The church is simply an organization. Authority is actually dominion. Mission is propaganda. Worship is the summoning of the spirits and Christian action is the morality of slaves. Without the spirit, the work that we do is the morality of slaves. Our misunderstanding, in other words, of what the spirit is and what it is that it does has drastic consequences. And one of these potential consequences is that our collective neglect of the importance of the Spirit may have contributed to our response when we hear a passage like this. When Jesus says, very truly I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. I don't know about you, but whenever I read that passage, I think to myself, yeah, okay, Jesus. We are supposed to be doing greater things than Jesus actually did. But in so doing and having that sort of response, I limit my expectations of what Jesus is asking me to do. I limit my imagination of the possibilities of how I can be used in this whole process. I limit my prayers because I begin to think that that certainly can't happen and it colors how I approach the throne room of God. I limit the power of the Spirit. What would it look like, though, if TRP, even in the midst of our mildly constrained singing and our contemplative reading of Scripture and written prayers, 
I put mildly constrained there because I wanted to be a bit polite to us. We are quite constrained, and my family is very appreciative of that. <laughs> Mom's back there nodding her head. Come on, Mom. The spirit moves, so we got to go to. So starts here. What would it look like if we, in the midst of our mildly constrained singing and our contemplative reading of scripture and written prayers, with all of our elements of this hipsterish high church tradition, what would it look like if we trusted God to work so powerfully through the spirit that our first inclination was not skepticism, but instead that our hearing of Jesus's statement was a sense of expectation and excitement? What if we put the rationalism on the back burner for a second and when we heard the words of the risen Christ saying to us through his word that we will do greater things than he has done, what if we actually began to believe it? What would it look like if we actually allowed God to use us through the power of his spirit in the big ways that we may have already written off the ideas and the leadings that we have felt impressed upon us, but we have been too scared to voice? What if we, through a growing sense of awareness that as followers of Jesus, the Spirit resides in us, and as a result, we became the confident sons and daughters of the Most High God that we are called to be? What would our prayers and our mission and our lives look like then? I was retelling the story of how TRP started uh, to some new friends over coffee this week. And whenever I tell the story, I'm struck with a bit of embarrassment because early on when we first launched TRP, uh, it was a bit of a soft launch, mainly because I was scared to death and I convinced Doug that we would call it a Bible study for a little bit of time because if it was a church and we started it and then nobody showed up and we failed, then it would be embarrassing. And I remember like just being so consumed by what people would think about me or about us or about this community if we went for it and nothing happened. When I look back at that story, I'm ashamed of myself. But I wish that I could tell you it actually got better for me individually, personally, in my relationship with Jesus. But even now, I still feel like there's dreams that I have that are too big. They take up space in my mind for a couple seconds and I immediately throw them out because it would take some stepping out in faith if we actually went for them. And I don't trust God enough, perhaps, or I don't allow myself just to go there because I'm scared. Some of these things, I'm just gonna throw them out into the atmosphere tonight because I think that's a good place to be. One of the dreams that TRP and its leadership has had now for probably a little bit over a year is to develop an after-school program, to take the kids that we've been ministering to down the street at Saturdays at the garden and actually start to be with them on a daily basis, to take the young, motivated college kids in this space and the older, motivated volunteers here in this space as well and to create a sustainable program where we can impact these kids. And we've already seen that. When Susie rolls up in her white car, all of those kids just flock to her because they want to be with her. The relationships that are being built are already showing fruit. And now we're starting to think about what would it look like if we took one or two steps more? 
I've also thought it would be neat. Being here in this space is awesome because it cost us nothing. It's $250 a month. When we were meeting down the road at Bethany Lutheran, they charged us $25 a week, which is unheard of. I mentioned this last week, but any other space that we would be renting around here would be in the ballpark of four dollars to $8,000 a month or so to accommodate our group and to accommodate the build-out that we would have to have. But wouldn't it be cool if we became the church where our name, the Restoration Project, was actually something that took root in a physical, tangible way? Where we took our hundred or so people and we occupied a space that's a bit less than, and we restore it so that the community can see it. And then as we grow, we move on and we do that again. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't like saying these things out loud though because we don't have any money. And because we, and in my mind I say, well, we don't have the people or we don't have this or we don't have that and my prayers get limited and my scope gets limited. I also was presented uh, from someone here recently where they said it'd be cool if at Epoch we had a washer and a dryer so that these kids could wash and dry their clothes because that's not happening for them at home. And immediately we'll start turning and I start thinking, well, you know, there's shower trailers. What if we had a trailer that was actually outfitted with washer and dryer and had a shower and then not only could we use it at Epoch, but then we could also wheel it down the street to uh, minister to the folks at Community Emergency Shelter Project when they're here in the space and they could get showers and they could wash their clothes. And we have these ideas that are big because again, we don't have enough money for that. We don't, maybe don't have the people, I don't know, but I'm tired of not only living in fear for this church, but living in fear in my own family, limiting what God can do in and through us. And my hope tonight is that we see as the Spirit is urging us to move, that we allow the Spirit to move us. In addition to these missions, I think that sometimes I feel that people in my mind represent something that's too big for God to do work in. Am I speaking your language? There's people in your life that you have kind of, not intentionally, but you've just kind of put into a different compartment thinking maybe I don't think God's really gonna do anything with that person because they're, they're crazy. But in doing that, you see how we limit not only our imagination and our expectation, but we limit what God can do in and through us. N.T. Wright says, you know I had to quote my main, main man N.T. Wright one time tonight. He says, the point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over forces of evil, that a new world has opened up, and that we are to help make it happen. The point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, that he has won the victory over forces of evil, that a new world has opened up, and that we are to help make it happen. So let's make it happen. Each and every day, though not in our own strength, but by heeding and by surrendering to the move of the Spirit. Now, I do want to say this before we close. I'm close. But before I sell us too short as a community, I think that my own limited reading of Jesus' teaching, my initial skepticism of the great things that his followers will accomplish has also served to limit my acknowledgement of the work that is already taking place in this community. 
as a pastor, I get involved in your stories. It's one of the cool byproducts of this job. I get to know your stories and I want it to be known that we have seen your transformation in this community taking place. I want it to be celebrated that there are certain people here tonight who are different now because of the work of the Spirit. I've seen it in so many different cases where the person that you were last year is not the same person that you are now, and we collectively are excited to see how the Spirit will continue to move you on. For some of you students, our greatest privilege is being with you for two or three or four years if we're lucky and then you leave this place because God has big dreams for you and you go to accomplish them. And our big task is to be faithful for those two or three or four years to prepare you for what is next in your life. And adults, as you hear me talking about this, get on board with that vision because that should be something that fuels and motivates you as well where we have this limited amount of time with these talented ridiculously great young people and we should have them over for dinner and we should be helping them to whatever it is that they need in their life and in their particular moment to be an agent of hope for them as they leave this place. It doesn't mean that every May won't continue to stink because they go home, but it does mean that we're beginning to do our part. So here's the conclusion. I want you to think for a moment about the big things that you are called to do. The things that have been rattling around in your brain for some time that you have said, no, that's too big, I can't do that. And you haven't allowed yourself even to go there. Maybe tonight, allow yourself to go there and to see how God might be moving you through his spirit. Who are the people that you have been called to reach, the people that you have written off, the people that you have kept at arm's distance, the people maybe even in your own family where you've given up all hope and you have limited the work of the Spirit? Where is it that the Spirit has been leading you to serve? The ways that you have been wanting to step out, but you haven't because of fear, or because of different obligations, the things that you could be doing that are just owning you a bit, but you've been shut off to them. What are the patterns of sin in your life that you could be freed from if you allowed the Spirit to take root and if you continued to walk in the direction where the Spirit is leading you. If we have, in fact, silenced the voice of the Spirit, perhaps it's time now that we begin to listen. If we have become callous to the movement of the Spirit, perhaps it's time to be open. If the point of the Spirit is to enable those who follow Jesus to take into all the world the news that he is Lord, and that he has won victory over forces of evil and that a new world has opened and that we are to help make it happen. Perhaps it's time that we allow the spirit to get to work in and through us. I hope that in the midst of this, as a community, we begin to be open to what it is the spirit is calling us to do, who the spirit is leading us to reach the different crazy dreams that we have that the Spirit is subtly moving us to accomplish for the sake of the gospel. There is nothing too big that God cannot do. What if we began to live as if that was true?